Let's pray. Father, we come to you and we rejoice that uh, you, the good God, the God of the universe, the great I am, would allow us to call you Father because of what Christ accomplished on the cross. Lord, we thank you for how your hand has been upon this congregation. And Lord, we're going to rehearse some of those blessings that you've graciously given us this last year and look to what you're doing for us in 2022. Lord, thank you. Thank you for who you are and what you have done, are doing, and will do. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would, turn to the book of Nehemiah. I know you're saying, wait a minute, we're in Luke. I know. Nehemiah chapter 6. We're going to resume Luke uh, next Sunday and continue our journey through that uh, gospel. Uh, it fits so well. It's going to fall right as we hit uh, Easter, and I'm looking forward to that. And then chapter 24, Nehemiah, this is a foretaste. Nehemiah will be the book that we study after uh, the Gospel of Luke, and there is a method to my madness, which we'll talk about later, why that is the case. But as you turn, Nehemiah 6, and we're looking at verse 15. This past week in Fox News Business, they showed a report, a survey that had been done, and it showed that seven out of 10 Americans believe that last year was one of the worst years they've ever encountered. They were probably all Republicans. We won't go there, right? Seven out of 10. Almost six out of 10 said that it was, personally, was the worst year they've ever encountered. What is more alarming is that 54% stated they do not think that 2022 will be any better, which is a bit unusual because Americans are usually very optimistic. And so the survey went on to say this, this doesn't look good. And indeed, 2021, if we look back at last year, there were many challenges, weren't there? The ongoing battle with COVID, the decay of the moral fiber of our society. And the negative can quickly eclipse what God has been doing these past 12 months. And so I thought it would be fitting this morning just to rehearse what has God been doing in the life of Community Bible Fellowship these past 12 months. And, and where is he leading us into 2022 and the text that we're going to use, this is not our typical exegetical sermon, so forgive me for that, but I just, I feel as we, we start this new year, it's important that we just stop for a minute and say, okay, what is it that God is doing? Where is he leading us? And in Nehemiah 6, let me paint the backdrop for you. In 586 BC, the Israelites, the tribe of, well, the land of Judah, was taken into exile. There were three deportations. If you remember in 586, the Jerusalem walls were destroyed, the temple was destroyed. And if you're a Jew living in 586, that's the epicenter of your world. That's the religious headquarters. That's the political center. That's the financial center. It's all decimated by the Babylonians. And it takes 70 years in 515 for the Israelites to return, and they will rebuild the temple, the Zerubbabel temple. If you remember, she ain't what she used to be. They weep because they remember the Solomonic temple. 
but nonetheless they have a temple. It's another 50 years, now we're in about 445 BC, that a man named Nehemiah, here in this account, we're told that he's a cupbearer. In fact, if you, if you flip to chapter 1, you will see this, and it's highlighted that he's living in Susa. He is serving as the trusted cupbearer to Artaxerxes I. We have historical evidence that validates the claims of the scriptures. Not that we need that, but these aren't made up stories. I can show you coins minted by Artaxerxes I. He was the king of Persia. And what he's been doing is reinforcing his fortresses in what is now modern Israel in that region to protect himself from the Egyptians. And his cupbearer Nehemiah says to Artaxerxes, may I go back and help restore Jerusalem? And Artaxerxes says, yes. Now that's, that's the cliff note version. We'll study that more in detail together as we move through Nehemiah. But he will go back, and he will serve as governor of Judah, Nehemiah will, and he will rebuild these decimated walls. The text tells us in 615, so the wall was completed on the 25th day of Elul. That's the Jewish month. This is about August, September. In just, and watch this, 52 days. Wow. And it says in the text, when all the enemies heard and all the nations who were around us saw that this, was, th th this has happened, they were greatly disheartened. And I love the next line. They knew that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. You see, the book of Nehemiah is to show we serve a faithful God. He allows Israel to return to the land. He allows them to rebuild the wall. But it's also a reminder to God's people that we need to be faithful. We need to be serving. Because even the rebuilding of the walls is just a foreshadowing of a restoration that awaits a later day. I've got a photo here you just have to see as we look at this. This is Nehemiah's wall that is built. And in fact, you can see some of the ruins even today in Jerusalem. It was two and a half miles long, eight and a half feet thick and 40 feet high and they did it in 52 days which is more amazing <laughs> when you look at this is the opposition they faced because even in the text here it says the enemies were disheartened who were the enemies well you can see some of them in verse 14 Tobiah Sanballat you go who are these people well they're local yokels and they're not too excited about the Jews coming back and fortifying a city They've had them under their thumb. They don't want them to have independence. But you also have problems within the camp, which we're going to look at when we study Nehemiah. Even many of the Israelites are saying to Nehemiah, are you crazy? Well, I'm not equating CBF with the Israelites. And certainly we don't face opposition from some Samaritans or some local yokels. We could echo this past year, couldn't we, verse 16 in Nehemiah where it says they knew this work had been accomplished with the help of the Lord I mean, look at what God has accomplished in the midst of a pandemic what God has done in fact I'm just going to give you a list just, just look at these and I, I'm sorry it's not one by one on bullet point but that way you can see where we're headed the first is we move from 502 the event center to the high school we are the first church to utilize this high school auditorium and they have been so gracious and supportive. 
in the last year, we also purchased 15 acres in Westfield, 161st, 4,000 square foot building, which we're already utilizing in various ways, all for a price that was well below market value. And that's been paid for. We've baptized approximately 35 individuals. Several of you are here today, and we rejoice in your commitment to obedience. We launched a Sunday school program this past fall. Uh, several of us thought we might have uh, lost our minds in that as we launched a nursery and children's program, but thanks to Tilly Pyatt and to Lori Evans, who've overseen that ministry and many, many others. In fact, there are over 50 volunteers helping out with our children's ministries. We started the teens uh, student ministry Sunday school under Pastor Michael, and thanks to him and his team. And we also have an adult Sunday school class, thanks to John Lieberman and Todd Reitz. And so we launched a Sunday school program as we continue to see this church develop. We launched a missions committee and hosted our first missions conference. If you remember, we were blessed to have Andrew Brunson here with us. And uh, how exciting that was. I was just reading an email from Andrew this past week, and he was giving some highlights of this past year, and you were on the list. So thank you for how you've loved him, and, and what a blessing that was. But to Bob Whitmore and the team who have been heading up the missions committee, we've witnessed the membership nearly double in size. We've hosted monthly teen events, which has grown. They're running about 40 each time they meet with 27 volunteers, and that's a lot of sugar. We, we've hosted a, a women's event uh, gathering for 150 women in the midst of a pandemic. Some said we were crazy. It didn't become the super spreader. At least I don't think so. Uh, we formed a choir, a 30-voice uh, CBF choir that sang on Christmas Eve, and I am pleased to report they'll be singing monthly from here on out, which is exciting, and uh, that'll just be great. In fact, they've even grown since Christmas Eve. We've seen growth in our online ministry. In fact, you'll love this map. Let me show this to you. Uh, those dots represent those who listen in or view the online service. Uh, we have had in the last year uh, approximately 3,000 unique units who've watched, and we average about 140 units who watch every Sunday. So we, we, we have a church outside of these four walls that we're servicing, and I'm so thankful to our tech team uh, Nate is sick with COVID, and these guys have stepped it up even this morning. And so thanks to them and to Nate, who can't be here this morning, but I think he's watching online. So Nate, hello to you. So yes, uh, with that, we've also seen in this past year God's hand when it comes to launching a college ministry. Uh, it's hard to believe, but we have about 20 college students that attend, and to, thanks to Maureen Lindley and the Venters for helping with that. We've secured tech equipment to enhance what we do on a Sunday morning. In fact, it's pretty sophisticated, and I'm so thankful for these guys. And we've also been able to help Westfield High School with some of their productions in allowing them to utilize some of our equipment and helping them in with sound and video. We've hosted our one-year anniversary dinner with about 400 in attendance. We've witnessed over 240 volunteers serving monthly under the leadership of Amy Flynn. So thanks to Amy and all those involved. 
We've expanded the prayer ministry by God's grace, and through God's grace, we've established several committees, a building committee, which has been functioning for a while, but that's expanded. Uh, security team under Kirk Collins, a medical team under Mandy Venter, an ushers team under Tom Tuttle, and we held our first Christmas service this past December. <laughs> yes, Nehemiah 6, 16 fits very well. They knew that this work had been accomplished with the help of God, right? <laughs> How else do you explain that laundry list? Well, Michael's super talented and so is Amy, but I'm sorry, that's the Lord, right? <laughs> that's the Lord that accomplished this. And we see what God is doing and, and we are so, so very grateful. But what lies ahead for us as a church family as we continue to grow and expand? And I think to answer that, we first must say, who are we? What is our identity? What's the DNA? And the elders, and I want to thank our elders that serve Mike Razor as the chair, Brad Bell, Ryan Booker, Jeff Cluxton, Tom Flynn, Gil Stoller, and Pastor Michael. We've spent a lot of time in prayer and thinking through, who are we? What are, is our DNA as a congregation? And I've had people ask that. Oh, you're a new church plant. What does that mean? Well, if you would, pull out this sheet uh, that you have, that being given this, and I want to highlight something that is on it. <clears throat> Don't want to insult your intelligence. You could read this on your own. If I could have this current slide show up so folks can see this. And, and I want to highlight a few things that are on here. And as you're looking at this, if you're saying, well, who, who are you? Well, we, we have no ties to another church. Uh, we're not a church split. We're not a church plant. Uh, it was 40 individuals who came together a year and a half ago in August of 2020 and said, we feel burdened to plant a church in Westfield. And by God's grace, two weeks later, we had our first service and it's been full steam ahead the entire time. And the focus of what we thought when we started this church was we wanted a congregation that loves God and loves others well. And the elders took that and said, what does that mean for us as a congregation? Who are we? And so this chart that you have, you can, you, I won't give you a quiz over this next week, but in, a, in four weeks, you'll have to have this memorized. But uh, I want to highlight a few things for you. First of all, as you see, is an, an emphasis on the word. Uh, unlike this morning, expository preaching is what we will have here. And we have a robust Sunday school program for all ages. I think that is vital. Uh, we use Truth 78 material for our children. That's intentional. Uh, so thankful for that ministry. And I'm thankful for Pastor Michael, uh, who is uh, key in this process and teaming with him and ensuring that we have solid biblical teaching. You know, in chapter 7 of Nehemiah, after the wall had been built, Nehemiah wasn't done. <clears throat> he had the word of God read, and a revival broke out in the land. Gene Getz makes this statement that I think is so appropriate. He says, without the message of the scriptures, we would have nothing with which to encourage one another. We would have no purpose for meeting together. Our knowledge of God would be so limited we would have no rational object for our faith, no doctrine on which to build our hope, and no way of even knowing the meaning of genuine love. Isn't that great? 
I was reading the dedication of the Moody Church in 1926, the, the uh, manuscript of the sermon that was given. And I love what was stated at the very end by one of the chief elders of the church of the Moody Church there in Chicago. He stated that if the word of God is no longer preached from the pulpit, may the doors close. Spray Ichabod, the glory of the Lord has departed, on the walls, for it's not worth having the doors open. And that is our prayer, that that continues in this pulpit, whether I'm here or Michael's here, that the word of God is preached day in and day out, Sunday to Sunday, and that as a, as a body of believers, if God should tarry, that is what we will be known as, is an emphasis on the word. Nothing can play second fiddle to the word. And that fits with the next point, and that's the centrality of the gospel. We understand the importance of the gospel and where that fits in the life of the church. As you can see there on the handout that you've received, it's expressed through local and global outreach, which is so vital to what we do. You know, when you think about the centrality of the gospel, I was reflecting on that this past week, to have the gospel central, you must have a solid theological foundation, right? <laughs> it, it entails a healthy view of sin. That's part of the gospel. We needed a savior. It's an understanding of holiness, the need for justification, and the importance of sanctification. And I would argue without that solid foundation, the gospel will become distorted and diluted with social agendas and personal preferences. And that is why, as you see there in that handout, discipleship is vital. It's a core component of the teens ministries, of the men's and women's ministries. Outreach and evangelism is something we're looking to expand in 2022. But we've been involved with Operation Christmas Child under Gracie's ministry. I thank you, Gracie, for that. 200 some boxes, I think, was shipped out to children for Christmas. We, we had Brad and Shar Holst that took two trailers full of things to help churches in Kentucky that had been decimated by the tornado. And we are currently under Chris Mason's ministry collecting for those that are homeless in the areas here in Indianapolis. Kudos. Keep it up as we look to have the gospel first and foremost in our ministry. Another point that you see there on the chart is the, the importance of prayer, dependence on prayer. Seems to go without saying, but so many churches, it goes to the wayside. I remember studying with a group from South Korea, and we were looking at the church in Korea, and I said, why, why is it so strong? I mean, the church was just flourishing back in the 80s and 90s. Why is that? And I can still remember, he's looking at me, and he says, well, the Here's, the, here's why. He says, your church is dead. I said, excuse me? <laughs> he goes, church in America, you don't pray. We pray. He says, that's the secret to the church, the power of the church. And so our dependence on prayer, and we've got a team under Jeff and Vicki Cluxton with 19 individuals helping with that. Uh, that is something we want to continue. Having a prayer service is a little difficult because in the evenings, uh, securing this auditorium makes it more difficult and the center isn't large enough for all of us. So we're looking at some creative ways in the near future to host a prayer service. So stay tuned with that one. Active membership is another key component and we are a church that understands 
it's not the pocketbook we're interested in. It's the resources of the talents and abilities God has given you. And we want to tap into that. We want to be key in utilizing our people. Redpath stated, and this is in the mid-1900s, he stated that membership of the average American church, he states 5%, they don't exist. 10% of those member, of members, you can't find them. <laughs> 25% don't attend. 50% show up on Sunday. 75% don't attend a prayer meeting. And 90% have no family worship. And 95% have never shared the gospel. <laughs> well, that's, Redpath said that's the average American church, and that is not true of this church. I just mentioned we have, what, 200 and some volunteers on a Sunday morning. It's dynamite. Keep it up. In fact, our problem is not finding workers, it's finding enough jobs for all those of you who volunteer. So keep it up. It's so exciting to see how we are having folks get involved in the life of CBF. Another area is vibrant worship. The style of worship is blended, as you know. I said, if I can't hear the congregation sing, then we've got a problem. It's not uh, congregational worship for me. And so we are in the process of looking for a full-time worship pastor. Continue to pray for us. But we are so grateful for Ben. Where are you, Ben? Uh, ben Mevion. There he is. Thank you for serving as our interim worship leader. And we are so grateful for you and for all of our musicians uh, that are involved in the church and leading us before the throne of God. Finally, on that list is intentional fellowship. And this is key as well, especially as God sees fit if we should grow. We want to make sure that we are passionate about loving one another and having a way to do that. In fact, we're talking about the design of the new church, and it's one thing for certain. We said we want a large foyer where everyone can fellowship, where everyone can gather. And if, if you linger much after a service here, you'll know that's the case. People are here usually till one. I think the custodial staff at the school has been extremely gracious, but they, they have very long patience. <laughs> it's like, okay, you can go now. And, and it's just so exciting to see. And so we want to foster that through social events, but also as we launch small groups. So you ask me, what is the DNA of CBF? It's those it's an emphasis on the word. It's the centrality of the gospel. It's dependence on prayer. It's an active membership, vibrant worship, and intentional fellowship. That is what I believe, and that's what the elders believe, mark us as a church, what we want to continue to foster. And that's exciting, isn't it? You, you see it oozing out in all areas. I, I was sitting in with the worship committee, worship pastoral search committee. Most of those are our musicians. So grateful for them and all the time and effort they've been giving. One of the first things they said is, you know, musicality is important, but doctrinal fidelity is essential. I was like, wow. I don't always hear that from musicians. And that's exciting. That's what's driving them as they're looking to present a candidate to us as a congregation. So uh, be of good cheer. It's exciting to see what God is doing. And so you ask, well then, okay, what are your goals for this next year? What are we looking to accomplish? And this next slide, I want to show that to you. And this is, well, you don't have notes before you, but if you want to write these down, you can. We want to continue and grow and develop the children's and student ministries. We are looking to hire a full-time youth 
worship pastor. We are certainly grateful for Pastor Michael wearing numerous hats, and one of those is the youth pastoral position, and he's done a wonderful job. But down the road, we would like to hire someone in that position, uh, certainly greater community among our young families. We want to foster that, and there are some events that are laid out, in fact, throughout the entire year uh, for the teens. And it makes me want to be young again, but I'd have to really wind back the clock. So, continuing to grow and develop our children and student ministries, we want to expand the men's and women ministries. Dorothy Gilbert has graciously agreed to serve as the director of women's ministry, and I'm so pleased about that. Dr. Tom Crago has agreed to oversee and help with adult ministries, and so I'm just so excited to see what God is uh, doing, in, and you'll hear more on those ministries this next year. We are looking to hire, as I mentioned, a full-time worship pastor. And we want to continue to develop our missions program and local outreach. 10% of our giving, not our budget, 10% of our giving goes to missions, which is exciting. And the, most of last year in forming the missions committee, it was, what, who are we? What do we, what is our, our vision for the church in missions? And, and what is our goals? And with that established this year, you're going to see more and more. So stay tuned as we look to expand our missions program. Another area that we're looking to do is to launch our capital campaign. If you turn that sheet over that you have, you'll see this on the back, those, those bricks that surround it. Our building committee, our concept design, has spent a lot of time this past year, and I mean hours upon hours, uh, looking to work with an outside builder slash architect to design a facility that meets not only our current needs, but our future needs. And this is difficult because we're only, a, a, we're not even a year and a half old as a congregation. And, and so what, what does that project? What are we seeing? What does that look like? And I am so grateful because it's under the leadership of Bob Horn. And uh, Bob is a member here and uh, Bob single-handedly overseen the Mall of America. Uh, he oversaw the expansion, $18 million expansion of a church here in the area, and we are so blessed to have him. He said, just call me Dr. No. <laughs> he said, this is how you're going to be, I'm going to be known as, as we progress. And he's been far from that, and we are so blessed. But we want to bring you into the equation. And the capital campaign, Artie Booker and Jeff Cluxton have agreed to assist and, uh, they've done more than assist. They're just doing a dynamic job of leading us to this period of where we're going to start to say, okay, that's, what does this mean? If we want a new building, what, does that, what is that going to cost? How are we going to do this? And so to give anyone, that is members and non-members, an opportunity to see and understand the design, and this is mentioned there in the notes in the back page, and funding plans, we have set aside two dates. So there'll be two times. It'll be March the 20th and March the 27th. You say, my goodness, that's, that's a couple months away. Well, mark your calendars, because it'll be after the service at 1130. We'll give you some information. That is the site plan, the, the, the building campaign plan. You'll see that all in there as we look to say, okay, this is what we, as leadership of the church, think God is calling us to do. And we're going to lay that before you as a congregation. But lunch will be served. It will be limited seating. So take note of that. It'll be March the 20th and March the 27th as we launch a capital campaign. And this is exciting because as 
God sees fit to bless, that leads us to the last point for next year, and that is breaking ground for a new building. And that, that's a bit daunting, but I, it's exciting. We, again, 52 days, the Israelites built a wall. It'll take us more than 52 days to build a building, especially in the midst of limited, uh, the, the resources being limited, but we've got a great builder in place, and I'm excited to see as the designs come together and we lay that before you as a congregation. As we rehearse God's blessing on our church in 2021 and look to what he has for us in 2022, again, Nehemiah 6 comes screaming through in my mind. They knew that this work had been accomplished with the help of God. <laughs> I'm excited to see how the Lord will use and how he's used our congregation to glorify his name in Westfield and the ends of the earth. And if the Lord should tarry, you know, what a day it'll be to tell our children and our grandchildren, yeah, we were involved in, a, in helping establish a church in Westfield by the name of Community Bible Fellowship. <laughs> Reminds me of Psalm 48. I love this text. Every time I'm in Jerusalem, I read it because it says, walk about Zion Go around her, number her towers, consider well her ramparts. Go through her citadels that you may tell the next generation that this is God, our God, forever and ever. He will guide us forever. I have a feeling that psalm was rehearsed when those walls were completed. As Nehemiah, in fact, we're told they had two choirs. One went one way on the wall and one went the other way. And they met up and had this huge praise service rejoicing. This is our God. This is what he has accomplished. Why? It's not so we can applaud ourselves someday and say, oh my, look what we have accomplished. Nor is it so we can have a haven in the midst of a crazy world in which we live. It's rather CBF exists for the purpose of serving as a testimony of the power of the gospel because of God's grace. You know, speaking of that grace, it leads us to communion and how fitting that uh, one of only two church ordinances we come to this morning. And you should have received a, a cup with uh, the juice and the bread But when we rehearse God's goodness in 2021, that was corporately, but individually we can also see God's hand, can't we, in our lives? If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you've seen how he's walked with you in the valleys, how he's carried you during some dark times this past year. It was interesting that Fox business survey that was done, I thought, I wonder how... The, evangelical Christians responded. How do those who know Jesus Christ as their Savior, how would they assess 2021? We have so much to be thankful for, don't we? Oh, times are hard. Things seem dark in many fronts. But our God reigns. <laughs> he lives forever. And we walk around the ramparts. We walk around areas of our life that God has worked and we say, no, he is victorious. And communion is another point of which in the life of the church we can stop, pause, and say, yeah, this is our God. May we not forget what he has done. 
It's easy to forget and to be ungrateful. We're told that God sent his son, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, his unique son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus didn't come, as we just celebrated at Christmas time, to start a new world religion, provide a guidebook on how to live a wholesome life or bring world peace. Oh, he is peace. He will bring peace. But he came to glorify the Father. And how is that to be accomplished? By dying on a cross for us. <laughs> wow. Talk about grace. What is grace? <laughs> it, the grace of God allows us to be blessed with being accepted. What does that mean? To know that Christ came, he died on a cross, and what he did was to pay the, our sin and he was buried and he rose again. He was victorious. And the text, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. There's not something you do. He did it. There's nothing you could do before a holy God. You needed Christ's blood to atone, to cover your sin. And that grace allows us to be accepted. It also, that grace sheds blessing because we're enabled. We've been brought in with Christ and that leads us to position child of his and it gives us inheritance as we come to communion and we look at 2022 Satan would love nothing more than to divide as the elders have met I said I'm not concerned about finances of course a couple of them break out in a rash but <laughs> I said, no, no, I'm not concerned about finance. I'm concerned that we're not loving God and loving others. That is what must drive us. We must guard it. We must protect it. And that starts with us, doesn't it? Paul even said, when he gave forth the communion elements and laying it out in 1 Corinthians 11, he said, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself, then so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. And listen to what he says. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some of you have died. Wow. This is to be taken seriously. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, this is not for you. It, it, it's a, a token of remembrance. For those of us who do know the Lord, there's a call for purity. And what a great way to start this year as we look to what God is doing to say, yeah, Lord, we want to be a holy people, a people that love you well and love others well. So let's spend some time examining our hearts before taking of the elements.
Lord, we come to the communion table and we recognize it's not about us. In fact, 2021 should have shown us it's not about us. We can't do this on our own. Scientists can't stop a virus. Politicians can't resolve social reform. The list goes on. The only solution for humanity is Christ. And Lord, that's so clear as we observe communion because it was the grace of you and of your son to come and dwell among us, take on our sin on a cross, give his life so that we could have life abundantly. And he can do that because he was victorious over grave, over death, over Satan. Oh Lord, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you take the bread, you could almost write grace across it, couldn't you? It's what the Lord has done for us. We didn't do this. He did it for us. We're going to study that more in depth when we get to Good Friday this year. But Paul tells the church at Corinth, I received from the Lord, I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. When he'd given thanks, knowing full well what lied before him, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The same way he, he took the cup after supper. Shortly he will be walking down the Kidron Valley to the Garden of Gethsemane where he knows full well he will be betrayed and then taken to Golgotha the next morning. He said, this cup is the new covenant, my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Lord, thank you. Thank you for our salvation in Christ, for the, what has been accomplished. Thank you for the acceptance that we have because of what he has done, the enablement, the positioning, and our inheritance. Thank you for the bride of your son Christ, the church. We rejoice in what you are accomplishing here at CBF. We do not take that lightly. We wanted to spend this morning just, just rehearsing, not forgetting. These are just some of the ways in which you have blessed us as a congregation. And Lord, we're so excited to see what you're going to do in 2022. We walk humbly before you. We seek your blessing. Help us not to get in the way of what you have in store for us as a body of believers. And most importantly, Lord, we seek that we, this congregation might glorify you, that the gospel would go forth, that we would be making disciples and investing for all eternity. Lord, we thank you, we praise you in Jesus.